Do you ever feel confused or overwhelmed when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find relevance in what you're reading or even knowing where to start? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to interpret and understand the Bible? Windows into the Bible University offers the solution for you. Windows into the Bible University offers college-level courses on the Bible and its world online and on demand. Learn from anywhere in the world, even from the comfort of your own home, providing high-quality biblical education for pennies on the dollar. We help you to understand how to read the Bible using the world of the Bible to help you understand the words of the Bible. The courses at Windows into the Bible University will make the Bible understandable and usable for you. Windows into the Bible University has a catalog of courses available and more being added regularly. We currently have a course on what is the Bible. Our course Windows into the Bible provides case studies that help you to enter the world of the Bible using our four windows approach to biblical understanding. We are adding a course that walks you chronologically through the story of the Bible. We have courses on the parables of Jesus, journeying with Paul through Greece, and more. Coming soon, Windows into the Bible University will have courses taught by other world-renowned scholars and teachers on subjects like archaeology and the Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're also adding a course on Paul from one of the foremost authorities on Paul in the world. I'm often asked, Mark, do I have to go to college or seminary to learn how to study the Bible? In my opinion, no, you don't. If you want to learn how to study the Bible and become more confident in your ability to understand it, Windows into the Bible University provides a world-class education with a well-designed, focused curriculum that will revolutionize your Bible reading and study. I think it's better than any Bible education program in the country, and it's just $299 a year. That's a lot different than $50,000 a year for college or seminary. $299 a year for unlimited biblical learning. Go to windowsintothebibleuniversity.com. That's windowsintothebibleuniversity.com. You're listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Do you ever feel confused when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find relevance in what you're reading? Do you feel like you're missing out on what the author intended for you to get? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to interpret and understand the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. We're in the middle of a little mini-series 
on how to read the Gospels. Thus far, we've discussed the genre that the Gospels were written in, ancient biography. We spoke about how ancient readers would approach ancient biographies and what they expected from the authors of those biographies. We noted how the ancient reader would expect, especially when you are in close proximity in terms of the time of the writing of the biography to the life of the individual, that the writer would have more sources available to them on the life of the individual, and they expected that these authors would use sources to write their biography. They did not hold the writers to some kind of slavish historical chronological accuracy. In other words, they didn't expect that the chronology would be day one, day two, day three. At the same time, they allowed that the author is going to be a bit of an architect in shaping the material on the life of this individual to present something that, on the one hand, was informative, actually speaking about this historical individual, but at the same time, it also would provide a maybe moral instruction, an example, and therefore the author had a certain level of creativity available. Then we also have talked about that between us and the historical Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, stands our ancient sources, which when we're really talking about it, we're talking about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in order for us to approach and ask the question, who was Jesus, we need to grapple with each one of these Gospels and how they went about telling their story of Jesus. And we discussed in the last episode how that progressed, how each of the gospel writers architected his story about Jesus. And that becomes important because what we're going to talk about today has to do with particularly a subject related to on the one hand, the relationship between particularly the synoptic Gospels, remember that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and how we go about evaluating. Now, to some of you, you're saying, I don't understand why this is important. Fair question. But understand that there is very much a skepticism that sweeps through a number of Bible readers or people who are maybe not that familiar with the Bible. And whether they see a difference when they read the Gospels that 
Matthew has something one way and Mark has it another, or Luke has something one way and John has it different. And the idea sometimes pervades that we can't really know a whole lot about the historical Jesus. There's almost this hyper-skepticism at times that you will find among New Testament scholars that you frankly don't even find among classical scholars. Those that are reading ancient biographies, actually. But there tends to sometimes be this hyper-skepticism, and, and I'm frequently asked, even by people who are devout people of faith, when I'm on a trip with them, they may pull me aside and want to have kind of a hushed conversation because they're wrestling with this very question. How can I know when I've got four different presentations of Jesus? How can I know who he actually was? And I think it's important that we recognize that the authors had a hand in how they shaped their story. We can acknowledge that up front. Again, that's why we started this conversation talking about the genre and what the ancient audiences and the ancient authors communicated and expected from that genre. And the next step in the process is to recognize how the individual gospel writers go about telling their story. So today what we want to talk about is how we refine our ability to evaluate the different presentations that we find in the Gospels to point to Jesus of Nazareth. On this podcast, I told the story before that when I was studying in Jerusalem with um, my professor, the late David Flusser, he would tell the story all the time about a conversation he had with the eminent Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, where Buber would say, if you read the Gospels and you know how to hear, you can hear the voice of Jesus. And Flusser would always put his hand cupping around his ear because that's what Buber did in this conversation between these two giants. And absolutely, we can hear the voice of Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But how do we go about doing that? And that's kind of what we want to tackle today. So at the outset, let's say a few things as it relates to the Synoptic Gospels. Again, we talked in our last episode about how the Synoptic Gospels tell very similar stories. They have a basic, very similar chronology, similar skeleton and outline of a story. And it's quite a bit different in reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke from reading John. I mean, even a casual reader can pick that up. And New Testament scholars have, for the longest time, going back really into the late 18th and 19th centuries, identified Mark as being the first 
of these three Gospels written, that Mark becomes the narrative core for both Matthew and Luke's version of their Gospels. Well, if you read Matthew and Luke, you will realize that Matthew and Luke both have material in common that we don't find in Mark, namely the teachings, the sayings of Jesus. Mark doesn't focus on that a lot. So how is it that if Mark is the common core in terms of the narrative story, that Matthew and Luke both have this material in common on sayings and so forth. For example, the Lord's Prayer, even though there's differences between their versions of the Lord's Prayer, they both have the Lord's Prayer. Okay. So where does that come from? Well, this leads scholars to postulate that Matthew and Luke had a common source that they used to get the sayings of Jesus, that they then wrapped that source and the sayings of that source around Mark's skeleton to build out the body of, of their gospel. And they refer to this source as Q. And some will say that the origin of the name Q comes from the German word quella, which means source. Um, that's not entirely accurate, but I don't want to bore uh, you, dear listener, with the, the story of how Q came about. Now, some of you may be thinking, what are you talking about with sources? Well, I would invite you to simply open up the Gospel of Luke, and read the first four verses, where Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, notice he talks about other narratives that are out there, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, we don't know who Theophilus is. Luke's address here addresses him as someone of some rather status. That you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. Luke tells us up front that he's using sources for the writing of his gospel. Now, I would argue that his language indicates that these sources are both written and oral. But our Gospels hint to the fact that they're, they're basing themselves off. So scholars have typically said what Matthew and Luke use is Mark plus this saying source of Q. Now, understand something a second about Q. We have no mention of Q in early church documents. It is something that is theoretical based upon scholars' assumption that Mark was 
the narrative core for Matthew and Luke, and then this is their explanation for how we get the common sayings that you find in Matthew and Luke that you don't have in Mark. And I don't want to get really technical here and, and, and dive into this, but let me just say a couple of comments of caution. In my opinion, too often, the theory, the modern theory of the literary relationship of the Gospels drives way too much of how New Testament scholars approach the Gospel texts. I would argue that all four of our Gospels have good material in terms of the sayings, the actions, and the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And the question that we should ask is which Gospel is preserving for us the most primitive form of the sayings of the miracles of the stories on the life of Jesus. And that cannot be answered or solved adequately by a simple theory of a literary relationship. And what winds up happening is that when people hold too slavishly to the theory to try and explain everything, then what winds up is whenever Luke differs from Mark or Matthew differs from Mark, they say this is the Lucan version or the Matthean version. And yes, they may be different, but it could be that they're actually preserving a more primitive form of the saying, the miracle, or the story. The question that the historian should approach these ancient sources on the life of Jesus with is what are the criteria that we should use that are objective that enable us to evaluate whether or not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John has simply made these stories up. Now, I talked a little bit about this at the end of the first of our podcasts in this little mini-series, but I want to come back to this today because I think that this is what is crucial for us to understand the quality of the sources that we do have on the life of Jesus. And I think that we have to start with what we know about Jesus of Nazareth. Not only from the Gospels, but we also find this within the writings of the Jewish historian of the first century, Josephus. He mentions Jesus. And yes, it is true that of the Greek versions of Josephus' text of talking about Jesus, they have all been corrupted by later Christian scribes to make Josephus sound like he's a Christian. But nevertheless, we can identify very closely what probably was his original testimony about Jesus. The Roman author Cornelius Tacitus also mentions. So what is it that we know about Jesus? Number one, Jesus was a Jew. 
Number two, he lived in the land of Israel. Number three, he lived in the first part of the first century AD in the land of Israel as a Jew. This isn't just attested by the Gospels. We see this in the writings of Paul. And again, we also see this in Josephus and pagan authors like Cornelius Tacitus. A number of scholars would also say we can also know that he was crucified by the Romans. So based upon those detail points, those anchor points, we can begin to formulate a way of evaluating our sources on the life of Jesus. We should find or expect to find a first century Jew who thinks like, speaks like, lives like a first century Jew of the land of Israel. We should not be surprised that although the Gospels are written in Greek, that they bear the influence of Semitic languages, particularly Hebrew. We should not be surprised that in the Synoptic Gospels, we find Jesus teaching frequently in parables. A genre, genre of story parable, that we only find within his contemporaries, the Pharisees. All of these things have an authentic ring and feel to them. So how do we go about analyzing that? One of the things to note, just as we look at the development of the Jesus movement, the further in time Jesus's movement moves away from him historically or chronologically, the less he is going to be articulated and identified within the Jewish world of the first half of the first century in the land of Israel. In other words, that fundamental reality gets pushed away from him the further in time we go away from him. And so as we're looking at language and language issues, we should be paying attention to does this gospel in this form of the saying of Jesus? Does it preserve something that is, even though it's written in Greek, that is Hebraic or Semitic versus this gospel over here that is preserving something that's much more Greek? We spoke in the last podcast about how in Luke's gospel, Luke is always nuancing Jesus's interactions with the Pharisees. Because the Pharisaic movement, the Pharisaic stream of piety was not monolithic. Now, when we read the other gospels, we get kind of this idea that it's very monochrome, that it's uh, a singular entity. 
But when we read Luke's gospel, we gain this nuance where Jesus agrees with them in the big picture general things, but disagrees on details. And while they definitely don't reject him, they also have a certain hesitancy about him. But yet when we place Jesus within the context of ancient Judaism, we find that there was an, a group of individuals that were charismatic, pious wonder workers known as the Hasidim, who also belonged to the broader movement of the Pharisees. The Pharisees respected them to a degree, but they also were a little bit hesitant with them as well. And we see that being reflected very accurately in Luke's gospel. So I want to take you back to something that we discussed in the first episode of this little mini-series. And I would argue that our ability to objectively evaluate our Gospels and their fidelity to the sources that they had on the life of Jesus of Nazareth should not be driven by our belief of a literary relationship, but rather should be evaluated by their accurate representation of the physical reality of the land, the historical reality of the days of Jesus. And this is something that oftentimes that you will find that people don't pick up on, that Jesus's geopolitical reality in the first half of the first century is not what it is in the latter decades leading up to the Jewish revolt that breaks out in the year AD 66. So how are those geopolitical realities being reflected? Who's preserving what looks like the realities of Jesus' day? Language is another thing. Some scholars would argue that the Semitisms, again, this is where the Greek of the Gospels reflects idioms, vocabulary, and syntax of a Semitic language like Aramaic or Hebrew. Many scholars would say, oh, that's not diagnostic for evaluating the Gospels. I disagree. What you can say is, at the very least, is the Gospels that preserve those Semitisms are at least preserving the earliest memories of Jesus' followers about what he said, what he did, and the stories they told about him. If you don't want to say it, that that's the literal words of Jesus, at least we can say that those reflect our earliest accounts of the life of Jesus. And then finally, culture. We should expect that Jesus was a part of his Jewish cultural and spiritual world. And as such, that gives us 
a window into understanding his words, his actions, and the stories that are told about him. In this way, the question is not which gospel was written first, second, third, and fourth. The question is rather who best preserves the physical reality, the geopolitical reality of Jesus' day, the language, the culture, and the spiritual world of Jesus. Do our Gospels represent that? And the answer is, in general, that the four Gospels that appear in the New Testament canon do that. Now, I will say this because I get asked about this a lot. There are non-canonical Gospels, right? And for all intents and purposes, they do not reflect a first century Jewish man living in the land of Israel in the first half of the first century AD. They don't. That doesn't mean that they don't have value for helping us to understand the development and the growth of early Christianity and so forth. But as far as really helping us to evaluate a historical figure, the historical figure of Jesus, their, their value is minimal at best. And I'm not saying that from a confessional standpoint. I'm saying that from the standpoint of a historian and a linguist. So as we approach the Gospels, I want to bring you back to the heart of this podcast, Windows into the Bible. It's all about entering the world of the Bible to understand the words of the Bible. And as we go about reading the Gospels, it's really the same thing. And the way that we navigate through the differences is just that we find in the Gospels is just what we've been talking about, recognizing that the ancient authors are not coming to these stories with our modern expectations. They worked with their material, they had sources, but they also constructed their story. And they have themes, and they have agenda, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's be honest. Whatever your news flavor is today, right? CNBC, MSNBC, BBC, CNN, Fox. Hopefully we understand that even in the telling of our modern, quote-unquote, history or daily events, there are agenda at work. I mean, all you have to do is watch the, you know, the President's State of the Union address. And for the next 24 hours on the news cycle, everybody's telling us how to understand what we just heard ourselves. So we need to understand that the gospel writers are working the same way. They're working creatively, they're working as architects, but they're working with sources that go back to Jesus of Nazareth. And the way that we move forward in understanding that and using them and navigating through these differences is not to say, well, we can't know anything about Jesus of Nazareth. No, that's lazy. 
And to be honest with you, in my opinion, it's irresponsible. It means that we as modern people have to work a little bit harder. And it's not just finding some idea of a literary theory and just kind of running everything through our theory. Our theory should be constantly, or I should say, we should be constantly reevaluating our theories based upon the evidence as our knowledge base grows. Something that gives us an objective way to approach these and use the four Gospels like lenses of a camera to focus on the historical figure of Jesus are what we talk about on this podcast all the time. Land, history, culture, and the spiritual world of the Bible. That gives us the ability to read the Gospels. I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, I want to invite you to rate, review, subscribe, and share. This actually helps us to grow our audience. So again, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please remember to rate us, to review us, to subscribe to the podcast, and to share it with your friends. One other thing I want to encourage you to do is I actually wrote a book, Windows into the Bible. It's available on Amazon, and this book provides case studies that help you to better learn the four windows, spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual, and how those contexts can help you better understand the words of the Bible. So check it out on Amazon, Windows into the Bible, and don't forget to rate us, review us, subscribe, and share. Thank you all so much. listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>